Hi everyone, it's Denise here with episode two, sorry, actually part two of my chat with Angry Anderson. So we're talking about everything, social media, um, you know, his childhood, sexual abuse, religion, spirituality, divine, creation, God, depression, um, grief, which he's had to deal with a lot recently, um, as many of you may be aware, um, online bullying, and, and there is a little bit of talk of suicide, just as a warning in this, um, in this conversation. So, yeah, Angry Anderson, he doesn't really hold back, and that's why I like chatting with him, and all the guests I've had so far have, have been very open. And I've enjoyed them all. So, yeah, so here's the rest of the chat with Angry. So can you talk to me a little bit about um, mental health? I know that's something that you're, a, you're an advocate for mental health and you speak openly about depression. Mm. Can you tell me when, when, when you noticed that depression was a part of your life and have you found ways to manage it as you, you know, as you get older, is there, are there ways that you've found that you can personally manage depression or, you know, is it, is it something that can't be managed? What, what are your thoughts on that? I, <clears throat> I, will, I will go this far on expert advice. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are few cases, few, that depression, that, de that the depression I person is so great that, that it can't be managed. Um, and psychiatry, because that becomes then, um, it becomes um, psychiatry being the treatment of mental illness. <clears throat> um, again, going back to the misinformation that kids receive today is if they're depressed, they've got a mental illness. It's a mental state. And yes, it may be a mental illness, but it's not a life sentence. Dealing with depression, um, my depression started at a very, a very early age. The bulk of my life I've dealt with it or I've managed it one way or another. Now, during my, you know, period of my life where I made the, the name for myself or, you know, earned the name angry or put, you know, substance to that, Yes, I covered it with, um, but, I, you know, that's why I often say being a singer in a rock band, particularly, you know, in, in the last 40 years, but being the singer for Rose Tattoo, uh, in those early years, it was the perfect vehicle, was a licence to be dysfunctional. In fact, it served me in a positive sense to be that dysfunctional until I finally worked it out. But um, depression has always been there and I've handled it in different ways uh, at different stages of my life. As, as in my early days, as I said, I covered it, as many people do, with being the life of the party, if you like, or the, um, you know, the, the court jester is in some cases. Um, some of our most celebrated artists and writers like people who wrote symphonies at the age of 16 were massively depressed people. But because, because the divine is benevolent, 
um, it that that severity of of that feeling of the of that emotion which manifests itself as depression it can be responsible for amazing creativity so it's it's kind of like it's not wasted in other words it's not just there as a, a totally destructive uh, you know element in your life um I handled uh, in the early days as best I could. I, I struggled with it during teenage years, and uh, and particularly in my through my twenties. <coughs> Pardon me. I I mean it's it's no secret that I uh, quite predictably when I say predictably, as an extrovert, I dealt with it with drugs and and alcohol and bad behaviour which uh, served me well at the time. Uh, in therapy, I learned to identify um, myself as, as a depressive. But um, one of the things I learned about myself in therapy was I had very seldom let it take control of me. And I always used to just laughingly say and i still do when i talk to uh, groups particularly younger people and and I, I i wouldn't let it better me because you know i was that's the way i was brought up you know i was i'm a belligerent bullheaded little asshole who's just not about to let you know because something you don't understand frightens the shit out of you but um it's 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 more frightening than something that's confronting you. That's like that you can see, you know, like Colin. You know, I lived in fear of him, but he was real. What the legacy that my early years left me with was depression, which causes bad dreams. I mean, physically it causes bad dreams, but you know, you know, using it as a metaphor is it, is it a metaphor? Um, it creates bad dreams. It creates darkness in, in your life, you know. Um, anyway, later in therapy, I was able to identify it. <clears throat> I think um, Winston Churchill is attributed with describing it as the black dog. And before I'd actually come across the common usage of, the, of that phrase, the black dog, I'd identified it as um, a monster that lived under the ground. And every now and again, I would, through my journey, I would walk past or I would be close to um, like a well with a lid. And I would be walking close to this, you know, in other words, you're going through a period of your life where things aren't going your way and you're sinking down, you're going down, and then the lid opens and this thing pokes its head out. And I remember reading um, as a kid and I recounted this analogy, if you like, to my therapist that I used to, I was, uh, you know, mesmerised by uh, that whole wizards and demons and uh, the imagery of many, but many of the books I read as a kid were about like Conan, 
but the age is a wizardry, you know, um, and, you know, they used to fight dragons and unbelievable monsters and all this kind of stuff. And um, turns out that there's a, a simplistic explanation for that. You're drawn towards that fantasy of, of good triumphing over eagle, evil. <clears throat> so I imagined this, my depression as, and then it would, it, came, it would leap out and grab hold of me. And then I would wrestle with it for a while. Again, going back to like reliving sort of scenes, if you like, out of these fiction, fictional books. And eventually I would get the better of it. So in therapies, um, we worked out that when I heard the creaking of the door, so to speak, or I knew that this thing was opening its lair to come out, that instead of trying to run away from it or trying to ignore it or whatever, I would turn and face it and I would take command and I would go over and I would jump on the lid and I would, in no uncertain terms, I would say, get the fuck out of here, you know, like just get back in your hole where you belong. You don't belong up here with me. This is me now. This is me living my life. You don't belong here. Maybe you had control once. Maybe you had an influence once, but not anymore. And I wouldn't let the thing out of the hole in the ground and I would stamp on it until it just, you know, gave up. And that's the way, I suppose, in a simplistic, a symbolic way um, is what I'm saying. I, I, have that, <clears throat> I have that ability now where I've taken charge of the situation and I will not. I will not let it rule me. I, will, I won't let it be a part of my life. I mean, I remember just a while ago, and it was only like six months ago, um, I was in, uh, I was seeing, you know, my therapist, like I said, the same guy I saw 20 years ago uh, for the, the marriage counselling and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, uh, transposed into me looking at my childhood in a way of freeing myself from that. And so 20 years later, I go back to see the same, uh, the same therapist to try and deal with, you know, my grieving and my grief. And um, anyway, we'd had, you know, a day, maybe six or eight, maybe 10 sessions. So like, um, we were sitting there one day and I hadn't seen him for a couple of weeks. And he said, so, you know, how have you been over the last? I said, well, I said, you know, I, this and this and this. And, you know, and I've been doing a lot of thinking and I've been questioning a lot of things about myself and, you know, and about decisions I've made. And I said, you know, and guilt that I might feel, you know, was I there enough for Liam? Was I you know, was, was, you know, did I come up to the mark as a father, you know, all those kind of things. And he, he's, you know, like a typical therapist, he's sitting there, he's just got this expressionless, you know, look on his face and and he just nodded, he just nodded his head, just nodded his head. And I said, what was that all about? Me turning it around, right? Because we play games. Because, um, you know, I've learned a bit about therapy. So I said, what was that all about? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you just nodded your head which is a typical thing 
a therapist would say to the client yep. or the patient, well, why did you do that? You know, well, because they, they know why you do certain things. Like you'll be saying something and you'll shift in your seat. And there's a reason that happens because it's a tell, you know, yep. this is part of the, the process. And, and they're trained observers to good therapists say. <coughs> and he said, um, I'm just wondering whether, you know, you've, how you feel about what you just said. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, tell me how you feel. I said, well, you know, obviously. I said, I'm, I'm grieving, you know, like that's part of grieving. He said, no, I don't think so. And I said, what do you mean you don't think so? And he said, well, think about what you just said about yourself. When was the last time that we talked about that? And it was like 20 fucking years ago. Like, and all of a sudden it came back as a flash. And I said, well, we were talking about my depression, you know, me dealing with depression, you know, that questioning of your worth, um, you know, questioning things that you've done or said or feeling guilty about things you've done or said that you haven't forgiven yourself for, you haven't moved on and all that sort of and I said, what are you saying? I'm depressed. I said, well, of course I'm depressed. I'm grieving, you know, the loss of my son. I said, of course I'm depressed. He said, but you can grieve without being depressed. And I, that was a, a moment of illumination for me. And I went, mm. I, I knew what he meant, but I had to question him further. And I said, articulate that. Tell me what you mean by that. And he said, your depression is something that's, that's been part of your life since you were a child. But grief comes in sections, right? You know, it's like your grandparents usually, you know, your mum, dad, you know, what, you know what I mean? Like you lose friends, whatever. So you grieve for a, for, for a period of time. You don't live in a state of grief. Well, most people don't. And that was sort of like a, a almost if not a clumsy way of, of, of explaining that what I'm, you know, what he meant, what I'm feeling was that, and I, I, I hadn't realised that, that until that point. And I, and I now, I, now I, know, I, 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 I know what he was talking about. So was he, that, saying, was he saying that... Let, let me just check that I'm I'm interpreting you right. Was he saying that that metaphorical lid on the world that you were opening that that you were going beyond grief and stepping back into your depression by going down that path of I, questioning yourself? I had, I had let, yes, I had let the black dog out back into my life. Because I had, I didn't notice that it was creeping up on me because I was so immersed in grief. So then I realised in when I, when I walked out of that session, I thought he's right. I know I knew he was right because <laughs> sometimes it's so fucking obvious to you that someone has to actually say it to you. You go like, of course, it's staring me right in the face. So from that day on, what I've done is I've tried to push the depression back, and I have, uh, to where it belongs so that I can grieve. But 
the grieving, in other words, just because you're grieving doesn't mean you get depressed. It's a different thing altogether. Mm. You don't need to be depressed to grieve. Grieving is a different, a separate emotion. It's a very interesting, back, interesting mm. way of looking at it, you know, because they do seem to go together, don't they? Well, most people would, most people would, I think, would be forgiven in a sense uh, for believing that or, or thinking that they go hand in hand. It's not necessarily true. I mean, from a therapeutic point of view, from a professional point of view, they're two different things. And I mean, okay, go back to the larger picture, which I think, which is something, I don't know, it's a, it's a huge area. But I think one of the things that a lot of younger people these days are starting to, and I think, I think they're being miseducated in this way, is that some of the angsts, some of the uh, emotional um, upheavals that they go through leading up to during puberty and, and in the period after puberty when they're trying to find <clears throat> their feet. So puberty's over. They're a new being uh, physically, um, spiritually, intellectually, most assuredly. So they're trying to figure this out. It's a very disturbing state to be in. But now they're being told that, oh, I think, or misinformed or miseducated to believe it's catastrophic. It's not. You will survive. And as long as you believe you can, you will. If you accept that you're a victim to something as natural as the you know, what we used to call growing pains, if, if you... If you go, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about this, you know, like I'm a victim, uh, then that mean, then you accept that. That's who you are. Whereas if you, you know, if you say, well, okay, this is not good, but I'll survive this or draw on your instincts again. Um, and I think that's what we, we should be. Uh, telling people, I'm, I remember saying many, many years ago, we, we, we should be we should be encouraging people to find their strengths. They've got to recognise their weaknesses and their frailties, but not give themselves up to that. That that's not the sum total of a person as a, as a being. They're, we are all getting back to that the spiritual. Uh, energy that is life itself that's the same in everybody so if one person has those strengths then we all do you know and you just got to believe that those things are there so it's up to mum and dad and it's up to the education system it's up to, to media you know but but of course they're going to be totally irresponsible which they are going back to the um, going back to the beginning of the conversation, I mean, before we, we, we started to talk, we were talking about in that informal way about um, the way that social media, um, I think the most, uh, I think the, one of the ugliest manifestations apart from the glorifying sort of um, 
you know, uh, politically motivated, you know, uh, uh, cultural changes, if you like, or cultural upheavals, you know, like uh, the, the really, really popular ones that are shoved down kids' throats today. Um, the, the most insidious one is um, manifestation, if you like, is um, the way that people are subject to bullying online. And I, I can't understand for me, for the, for, for the life of me, um, how we've let it go on for, for so long. I mean, they're still talking about, you know, having meetings and, you know, they're trying to, you know, get social media platforms to be more responsible with, with online bullying. I don't really know how you can do that because I'm not a techno person. I think, I think it's gone too far. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very, very, I remember reading some statistics a while ago about social media bullying. And it's, it's mainly done by females and mainly aimed at other young females, which is why there's so much a growing uh, problem uh, with, with young um, adolescent females as far as physical violence goes um, and self-harming, suicide, um, you know, it's like, why is it that young females, <coughs> some even pre-pubescent, pre um, are posting so many sexually explicit photos and videos or, or live one-to-one, -one, I don't know what to, is that TikTok or whatever, but there's one format apparently that it's it only happens while it's happening and then it's gone. Yep, I think that's um, Snapchat. I think. Whatever. Anyway, um, as a society, I think we've got to ask ourselves: well, Why is this happening? This is not good. Anybody who who is aware of what what I've just said or what we're talking about, you inherently know that that's not good. So there's got to be, you know, it's cause and effect. Why is that happening? You know, let's, let's, let's try and find out why that is happening. You know, what, what, what is it about social media? I remember a couple of years ago there was a, a case, and it's sad as all hell, this is a woman killed herself. She was a, a television personality. And, um, you know, she was blonde and big-eyed and big, larger-than-life, this glamorous, you know, um, I suppose you'd call it an influencer. God, I hate that term. <laughs> um, but, you know, she was a subject. She was a media personality, larger-than-life media personality, seemingly had the world at her feet, blah, blah, blah. That was the crux of the story. Big shock, horror. She's killed herself. And it was through cyber, I think cyber bullying or online bullying. Mm. I thought, wait a minute, I won't do it to you. But I could stop just going, going click, bam, it's over. I can't understand for the life of me how this beautiful woman with a family and a life to live how she felt such despair 
through online bullying. Why did she? Why didn't she just take the fucking computer and chuck it out the fucking window? Then the problem's gone. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I guess it's. I, I, can't I guess in this in this day and age, I think it is hard though because the cyber, you know, the online, our online life is our real life. You know, there isn't for a lot of us. We need to be on there for work, even, and you know what I mean. Like there isn't that um, divide anymore. You kind of have to have this online presence, but at the same time, I do know what you mean. But if you were being bullied difficult. by someone, if someone came after you. And was character assassinating you and, and being vile in their language to you, what they said about you and your family, what would you you would not engage, surely. Mm, mm. What would be the purpose? Yeah. It, and I think we have to go back to what you said before. We let's like why? Why well, is this happening? You know, what's what's that's, going that, on? That's what that's what that's what worries me so. It frightens me so. I mean, <coughs> pardon me. I can't. I just can't fathom if it's so bad. If it's you know, if if you if you get to the point of such despair, where you think, well, you know, it's it's like. Some of these bullies encourage their victim to do the ultimate. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. You want to, that's the best thing you can do. That's the best thing you can do. But what, what, this is the point. This is what I don't understand. And it's, it's not a technical thing. It's not, it's not that <coughs> the victim has no choice. The victim has a choice. They can terminate. They can just go, not, I'm not playing anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of this. Hey, um, so tell me what's next for the tats. I think that. <laughs> what well, a resilient. Along. <laughs> yeah. What a um, resilient band you know i know the members have changed a lot over the years but jesus you've been going for a while uh yeah 75 um we started so 40 something years you know if you were to believe the doomsayers um you would be sort of i suppose accepting the you know it's never going to go back to the way it was where we're the most optimistic people um pardon me like we were going to tour america last year for the first time since 83. um so that was postponed to this year now it's postponed to next year so if we don't make plans as if it's going to happen, we've given up. Yeah. <clears throat> so as far as we're concerned, for whatever time we've got left, that, that a band like Rose Tattoo can be relevant, um, which 
me as producing new material, I think a band, even if, if, it's, if it's not as, we've never been a prolific band, and that's been due to, um, you know, periods of inactivity, um, uh, going through a period of, of time where there wasn't a stable enough lineup. Like we'd be, we might be out playing, but we're not being creative. And I think there's a certain kind of juice and energy that has to start flowing uh, to produce songs and produce. Some people are gifted; they can just write songs. And um, so I think what's in in front of us is that <clears throat> there's mu new music to be written, which is already that's a process already been started because obviously you know we're not playing. So I can see us next year all being well. Um, yeah, we will go back and those dates that have been postponed from last year to this year to we'll do in through Europe. Yep. We'll do those dates next year as we will do America. And we start work, um, <coughs> pardon, we start work uh, in October. And uh, we work through October, November, and first part of December. And then we come, this is in Australia, obviously. Yeah. Then we come back and we work um, in the second half of January. But the February and March, of course, is that's reliant on us going overseas. Mm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're optimistic. Um, I don't think um, that, uh, I certainly don't believe that Rose Tats has outlived its relevance. Um, I think it's still with the right combination of songwriters within the band, I think we can, there's still things that can be, that we can say that are relevant to, to, to today. I mean, one of the things that um, um, I've always liked um, about is that we've always we've always romanticised, which I think is an integral part of rock and roll, to romanticise uh, life, um, and 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 also represent you know real life like in a in a romantic sense like uh, like rock and roll outlaw, which is arguably our signature tune. If you just read it for face value, it's a romantic song about being an outlaw and, you know, being in a rock band, you know. It's a song about freedom. It's about, you know, whatever. But there's something um, there's something deeper in it, in it for me. I mean, because I wrote the lyrics, so I know what I'm talking about. And over the years, people have identified with that. It's a spiritual freedom. The real freedom. So yeah, I think Rose Tats has got more to say socially um, and emotionally, spiritually, most definitely. But um, at the same time, um, you know, I'm, I'm finally doing my own band after so many years of talking about it, um, and I think that's the next phase for me. You know, I, I don't think. <coughs> I'm 
even though I am an incurable of romantic, I don't think romantically that rose tats can last forever. I, I don't think that um, because I believe that everything has a, a start and then there's the middle part, which is the life of it, and then there's the, the end of it where it's it comes to a natural conclusion. Mm. And I think that's not too far away for rose tats. I think that, but I've always thought that we, I've always professed, I've always said that um, we won't go out with a whimper. Um, so it won't be a gradual falling off and just no. going around on a treadmill. It'll, there'll be a final statement that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, we did Blood Brothers because, well, I knew that that was the last album that Mick and I were going to be ever going to be able to write together because he was dying and, you know, I knew that. Um, so it was time to make that that statement, that, um, that moment in time. Um, I think Blood Brothers is like 10 years old, so it's... <laughs> It's time for another one. Yeah, yeah. So can I ask you five quick questions yeah. before we finish up? So yep. these are just kind of getting to know a little bit more about you. Oh, so okay. What is your favourite book? My favourite book? Oh, crikey. Uh, Jesus. Um, Zen and the, the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that because that's what oh, you told me. Didn't I? Oh, did <laughs> you didn't. You told me that last time. Oh right, okay. <laughs> so I was waiting for it. Um, you also said Thomas More's "Care for the Soul." Oh, a, a, a book that I just started reading. It's funny you should say that. I just started reading it a couple of because I've, I've 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 got back to this is part of my journey back from that dark place that I've been in for the last couple of years um, is that I've, I've started reading again, like, but broadly. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and reread a couple of very, very important instructional books. And one of them is, is Care of the Soul. But I've got, I've got his three, um, one's called The Soul of Sex and the other one's called... Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I, uh, I've got the soul of sex sitting in my bookcase. Is it worth a read? <coughs> yes, it, it is. Um, in so much as, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot more. I, I think there's. A, I think there's a danger in over intellectualizing anything. Mm -hmm. There's some very very fundamental. Um, there's some very fundamental. Um, books that are almost naive in a sense they're very sort of not it's sort of like childlike but because they were written at a time where this is kind of like the new the new information one of the things that i really enjoyed about um the care of the soul was it, it was a very introductory book into being aware that you are soul i mean you know mm. the, what what we're doing now is we're using that that energy that is our soul 
um, and we try to communicate with one another and we try to exchange ideas and therefore our soul is benefiting from that. Next question. So that's what you've been exploring at the moment. You've been rereading those those old favourites. I just thought to re to re to reinvigorate my interest in reading. Yeah. Which is to reinvigorate my interest in me, because one of the things about grieving, and this is where it becomes tricky, because it's a there's a similarity with depression too. <clears throat> is you tend to lose interest in yourself you, you because you see you feel so overwhelmed um that nothing you can do or say can change it well yeah like in the case of losing a loved one there's nothing you can do to change it it's like the old saying you can't bring them back or you can't but that's not what it's about it's about it's about you. It's about, you know, how, so what I'm trying to do, I suppose, in a clumsy way, I'm trying to reclaim what I let go of. It, it, my grief is so all encompassing that I, I've just sort of let go of important aspects of my life. Um, because I just lost interest. I just was, you know, I'm shattered. I'm, <clears throat> and I'm desperately going, I'm trying to, to recover. And so I thought, well, if I get back, you know, like if I start to, because I used to be, I wouldn't say obsessed with training, but I was, there was an obsession about it because of the physicality of it and, you know, <clears throat> uh, you know, fighting weight, you know, and blah, blah, whatever, but there was a physicality about training the body that affects the mind, but you know, mind and body, you know, healthy mind, healthy body, all that stuff. So it's all true. And, and, and if you, if you lose those things, and I have, I let those things go. Uh, I, I, I want them back because they were important parts of my life. So reading all of a sudden, and it's not easy to just pick up books like I always used to read like two or three books at the same time. Like I'd change from one to the other. <clears throat> and um, it's not just easy just to, just to pick it up and go, oh, I'm back now. You've got you've to wean yourself back into it, you know, because it's a certain amount of discipline involved. And, um, yeah, and I just thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick half a dozen books that I haven't read for a long time. And, and I like to do that. I like to reread certain books. Like Zen, I've, I've read that book four or five times over my lifetime. Yeah, okay. I still haven't read that one, but um, I have it on oh, my list. Yeah. It's a cracker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So my next question, um, mm. look, I don't even know if this is possible at this what you, with what you're going through at the moment, but the question I ask next is always, how do you make space for joy in your life can you even find space for joy in your life after all that you've been through recently <coughs> pardon me i think if you don't if you don't allow joy because a lot of the joy that anyone experiences in their life is is given to them 
And if you don't allow it, I think madness takes hold. And there's enough madness anyway. I mean, there's moments over the last two and a half years where I have seriously, seriously known I was mad. I, I don't mean mad as in angry, that I was temporarily, you know, so insane is that another word for mad? Yes, mm. it is. You can't give in to that madness. And one of the things that helps drive the darkness of madness out of your life is joy. So you take joy uh, where you find it or where it's given. And it's usually, well, in most cases, um, you know, it comes from somebody else. You see somebody else happy in their life, two people that you that you know and love fall in love or they are in love and they get married and that's a joyous thing. They have a child. That's a joyous thing. So you make space for joy in your life by you noticing got, noticing have, the joy of others. Yeah, you have to allow it to, to have a place in your life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a nice way of looking at it. So what's um, something few people know about you? I'm scared of heights. <laughs> <laughs> are you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and what's your most important life lesson so far? Like looking way, way back, what's, is there a theme? My most important life lesson <clears throat> never give up. Yep, yep. That's a good one. And the never final. Give up. The final question is, um, what are you learning in your life right now? What's the, the current um, lesson that you're, that you're trying to learn in life? Something I've said as a reflection to my childhood, um, I've always said that pain is our greatest teacher. Pain is our constant companion. Life is not ever going to get any easier if you want to live it to its fullest. And care of the soul alludes to that, is that a soul that is alive suffers greatly because the soul grows or becomes starts to realise its potentiality through experience. So a person, a soul that lives a completely trouble-free, no such thing, of course, hypothetically, a soul that has a trouble-free life, breezes through life, nothing really bad goes wrong, everything they touch turns to gold. <coughs> they don't have any, they don't have a bad life. Well, that's not a bad life. It's just not as good as it can be. And so I'm, 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 I'm struggling to learn to live with just um, a pain I never thought I'd have to deal with.
So I've got to grow to to accommodate that. Yeah. Because I wasn't I wasn't prepared. No. So if I'm to survive, I have to find whatever it is I need to survive. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me and taking taking time out of your busy day. Um, you know, please know that you're in our thoughts. Thank you. Um, coping with something that, you know, none, very, very few of us can imagine what you're dealing with. So, yes, um, many of and us I, are I, thinking. I hope it, I could, uh, you know what, I, I remember... In those first terrible months, I never realised, of course, you can watch the news. It doesn't just wash over you like water off a duck's back, as they say, but there's nothing like experience to illuminate. There's far too many parents having to deal with what with what I'm dealing with as a parent and what we're dealing with as a family. Mm. And it, it happens because life happens to us. And that's why we've got to, you know, like if we, if we want a better world as a philosophy, it's not through instruction and regulation and, you know, you've got to recognise this minority group because they suffer. We all suffer. What we need to do is we, we, we need to uh, educate our children and ourselves to be better people. And the rest of it's taken care of. You know, it's like that, like I said before when I was talking about that T-shirt, be kind. That's that should be second nature to us. It's it's in all of us to be like that, and that's all we need to do. We need to become better people, and then it doesn't matter what minority you belong to. They don't need to parade it and wave a flag in our face and demand recognition and demand you know sympathy or empathy or whatever. Because if we're all just better people, if we're all as good as we're meant to be. That we are, when we when we're conceived as an idea, an inspiration from the divine, as just as much as we are conceived in embryonically speaking. You know, we're meant to be better than we are, and we, that's our our mission in life is to be better than we are, the better as, as good as we can be. And if we if if we if we are like that as people, as we if we raise our children that way, and they raise their children that way, there won't be the problems with minorities. Minorities won't have to cry out for recognition and acceptance, and you know, and tolerance and whatever, because because they'll have it. You know, we just need to be better people, mm. all of us. Anyway. All right. Well, you have a good um, a good night. Go have some dinner. 
Oh, yes, curry. <laughs> Very homemade, nice. Homemade curry. Lovely. Oh, yeah. I'm All becoming right. quite the, the hand at homemade curry. All right. Mm. You'll have to um, share your recipes. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like mum. She just sort of chucks a bit of this and chucks a bit of that and see how it comes yeah. out. Yeah. See, I can't do that. No. Yeah, I love I love cooking. I love experimenting with cooking. I love creating. Yeah, yep. Mm. I wish I loved it, but no, no. No. All right. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully, right. talk to you again one day. Ah, mate, I look forward to it. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. right. Thank you. Thank you, darling. See ya. Bye bye. That's it for my chat with Angry Anderson. Um, definitely can't accuse him of holding his cards too close, can you? He's, a, he's an open book and I appreciate that. I really like people who are so honest and open. So if you want to stay up to date with what's happening on The Shift podcast, head over to The Shift Potty on Instagram, which is just The Shift Potty, P-O-D-D-I-E. I just spell it in case you think it's a Y. I don't think you're silly. And did you know that the Shift podcast is part of the Slice Radio family? They're at sliceradio.com.au. They play really good music and they have heaps of other chat shows, so they're worth checking out. Also, if you want to email me anytime, you can go to theshiftpoddy at gmail.com. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Oh, two weeks. Or maybe next week. We'll see. See ya.